Jeremiah 49. Look at verses 34 through 39. <clears throat> Over the past few months, we have, uh, we have dealt with certain prophecies of judgment against certain nations, nations that are in fact still operating maybe by other names, but nonetheless they're still uh, a particular people group. Uh, for example, um, uh, Edom, when we were uh, going through uh, uh, our studies in Obadiah, and uh, we're all going to touch on Obadiah for just a moment tonight. Uh, certainly there are uh, prophecies against Egypt, against um, Syria. Syria, of course, is very prominent in the news today. Uh, Iraq, which was Babylon. Um, Persia, which, of course, today is Iran. And there's judgments in, in so many different places against these particular nations. Tonight, we're going to look at one in, uh, that is called Elam or Elam. And it says, as we begin in as soon as I can get this thing to work, you kind of got, help me with, help me with that uh, slide if you can, because I can't get it to move. Is it frozen? Hello, everything's frozen nowadays, isn't it? It's, all right, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet against Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah king of Judah saying, uh, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the chief of their might, and upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and will scatter them toward all those winds, and there shall be no nation whither, uh, or whither the outcasts of Elam should not come. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before them that seek their life, and I will bring evil upon them, even my fierce anger, saith the Lord. And I will send the sword after them till I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in Elam and will destroy from thence the king and the princes, saith the Lord. But it shall come to pass in the latter days that I will bring again the captivity of Elam, saith the Lord. One of the uh, burning questions that has been asked for years in regards to eschatology, which is the study of last day things or last day events, is this question. Is the United States of America mentioned in Bible prophecy? I'm sure that most of us have probably wondered about that when we deal with the issue of last day things and last day events. And while it isn't mentioned by name, obviously, it, its influence based upon its relatively short lifespan in comparison to ancient cultures and nations and its support of the modern-day state of Israel has surely been effectively seen. And it has been felt throughout the prophetic landscape of Scripture. What America has done has in some way been influential in some of the things that have been happening in prophecies that are being fulfilled in these last days. But over the last few years, there has been a, a major shift in policies, both foreign and domestic, in the American governmental system that has shown an even greater emphasis in participation in what can be considered as prophetically significant. Even with so much social media and instant news reporting going on 24-7 and 365 days a year. A fundamental change has taken place in our country that places this nation more so than ever in the crosshairs of divine judgment. Political correctness, attacks on the moral foundation of our country, i.e. the true church of Jesus Christ, the assaults on and the devaluing of the Constitution of the United States. For example, the push to eliminate the First and the Second Amendments to the Constitution while, while most of the country is sleeping or, putting it, or, or have been put into a stupor for drinking the progressive Kool-Aid 
These things cannot be overlooked by the God who raised this country to be one nation under him. And I say these things really with, with a sense of, of fear, not fear of the world, not fear of who might be listening to this, not fear of, of things that some people have fears of, but primarily a fear of God. Because we need to remember that with so many things wrapped up in, the, in, in political uh, ways, you know, so many things just uh, tied up in, in, in political verbiage and all, it still comes down to one thing. Who is supreme? Who is sovereign over all? And we know that to be our God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And these things cannot be overlooked. We, we, can't, we can't put our head in the sand anymore, as many people have tried to do over the last 50 years. You know, it is truly high time for us to pay attention to the things that are going on in and being said from the highest places in this land. When true biblical Christianity is being deprecated, which means this uh, biblical Christianity is being belittled today, condemned and denounced, not only on college campuses, but even in the highest levels of government. and being denigrated or disparaged or degraded while Islam is being renowned and distinguished by many today in those very same places. Where Islam is being respected and appreciated with a claim that it is a religion of peace. I want to turn your attention to the words of the Psalmist David for just a moment in Psalm, I'm sorry, Psalm 12. And, and I, I want to look at the first four verses and then the last verse, which is verse 8. But Psalm 12, verse, verse 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. David wrote this at a time when people were drifting completely away from the truth of the, of the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. They were turning away from the things that would honor their God. And, and, and really, you know, here, here, was, here was David the psalmist writing this as one who was observing that the people were not paying attention to God at all, but to many other things in their society and in their culture. He says, They speak vanity, every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said, with our tongue will we prevail, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? People can today in, in governments, and you know, we have to look at our own first and foremost, but in, in any government for that matter, in any nation, uh, people can look at their leadership and and. And when, when the leadership begins to turn toward speaking proud and vain things, you can immediately know that they're going to get into some kind of trouble or they're going to cause some kind of trouble. To the point that they will eventually say, hey, we say what we want to say. Who's Lord over us? They may pay token compliments to someone's God. But when they begin to speak proudly, they've made themselves God. When you look at the last verse of this, of this psalm, it says, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men, when the most base and wicked men are exalted. Wicked in their minds, wicked in their hearts, wicked in their actions. 
wicked in their beliefs and in their faith. And yet when, when the name of Jesus Christ is, is blasphemed and the church of Jesus Christ is attacked and when the freedoms that we have to do what we do in worshiping our God and in learning of our God and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, the word, and teaching of the word of God can be silenced at any moment, our country's in trouble. It's in deep trouble. If the founding fathers of, the Uni- of these United States learned anything from the scriptures, it was certainly that the rights of the people came from God and that the powers of government come from the people. When you read the, the, the foundation, really, of the Constitution being of the, the Declaration of Independence, and you put all of this together, there is that sense that they understood the Word of God. That is the reason why we oftentimes say that the foundation of this country was founded upon the Word of God. And the laws of the, of, of the nation were founded upon the Ten Commandments, as we'll see in just a moment. But shortly before... Moses went up to Mount Sinai and received the commandments from God. He himself had the children of Israel, and they were all coming to him. And he was spending day and night counseling and talking and, 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 and giving forth uh, counsel and, and all. And it was worrying him out until his, father, his father-in-law, Jethro, came to him and and this is what he said in, in, in Exodus chapter 18, verses 17 to 23. It said, Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Now, this is, of course, leading to uh, the understanding of the foundation of leadership. And certainly with the people that, uh, that Moses had, I mean, he became the leader of this nation of people. And he says, The thing that thou doest is not good. You, you yourself doing all of this stuff. Thou will surely wear away, both thou and, the, and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God. Now, now just stop, just stop for, the, for, for a second to see what he says. Be thou for the people to God word. You are going to be there for the people to go to God. To go to God on behalf of the people. So he says, Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Moses, you don't have all the answers, but God does. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws. So in a civil society, there is that need to have an, a, a foundation of ordinances and laws that can be followed so that the people can treat each other rightly and properly and fairly and, and so on and so forth. So he says, thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws and shall show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. The ordinances and, law, ordinances and laws themselves are going to come from God to Moses, to the people. And then it says, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Now notice, this is a foundation for the leadership of this nation. He says uh, again, uh, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them, to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. So you have a general oversight of a nation, but then you break it down, as we can use the United States as an example, that you have a federal government, but you also have state governments, and then you have local governments, and and everybody has their particular places of service in those areas. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter that they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. 
If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. If you do these things, with the foundation being you first go to God, you first go to him, you receive from him these laws and these ordinances for the people, which eventually he will go and get from the Lord, written by the finger of God, to bring to the people. That is when Moses receives the law from God on tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, the law which became the foundation for our own laws, when followed, by the way. But here's the reason we find many in our government today at war with God and his people. I'll get to that in just a moment, but, but let me say that we could, spend, we could spend a good amount of time just talking about the way the founding fathers placed checks and balances into the government. And I know that this is starting to sound like some kind of a civics lesson, but, but, but bear with me because I think it's important to note that what we're seeing, if we, if we carefully watch our, our country prayerfully, carefully, and scripturally, we find that those who are supposedly leading this country are being told, well, you know, you can't go to God. You can't use the name of God. You can't, you, you know, we can't go there anymore. We, we, we need to become a secular world order now. But the founding fathers did everything they could to put checks and balances so that no one part of either the executive, legislative, or judicial branch would overpower the other. But in this year, 2015, that didn't matter when the Supreme Court of this land made a law which they're not supposed to do. And, you know, we could argue the, the fi, fi, finite things or the, uh, the minuscule things of this, but, but really overall, they made, a, they made a decision to allow same-sex marriage for all. It becomes the law of the land which it had to have been actually a law that was to be governed by states and local entities, not the law of the land. That, that totally went against the way things are supposed to work. That's just one example. There are many more, which we're not going to go over tonight. But I think most of you, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, felt that night that in June when, when you know, all of a sudden the, the lights on the White House... Uh, that belonged to the people of the United States of America, where the lights were, were covered with, with the rainbow colors, uh, symbolizing, of course, uh, uh, the gay rights movement and all, as being more important than anything else for that night. Tremendous, tremendous burden upon the hearts of those who said, when did that happen? When did that begin? When did that start? How did it all start? We, we could take three hours to go over that. We're not going to do that, by the way. But here's the reason why we find many in our government today at war with God and his people. Turn to Revelation chapter 12, please. Revelation chapter 12, and I want you to look at verse 17. <clears throat> I'll read the verse of Scripture, and then I'll come and explain the, issue, the essence of the chapter. It says, And the dragon was wroth or enraged with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty heavy verse. So let me explain. And the dragon, being Satan, was angered or enraged with the woman, who was Israel, in the study of chapter 12 of, of Revelation, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, again, remember that the dragon, is in, uh, Satan, is enraged with the woman Israel, and especially desired, by the way, when you read all of chapter 12, desired to devour the child of the woman who was Jesus as soon as he was born. That was the desire of the dragon or Satan. But here it says, it talks about those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There is an anger 
toward God. Now, when you begin to realize the connections in the book of Revelation between the work of, of the dragon, the Antichrist, who is called the beast, and, and the false prophet, who is the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the buddy of the Antichrist, you know, when all of that starts coming out. When you begin to see the work of all of this, it is tied into the leadership of nations. And the nations that are going to fall into place to follow after one ruler who is called the beast or the Antichrist. So when you continue to see this kind of, of, of wording, you are looking at something that is reflecting leadership that is coming down on and making war with not a nation, but with people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So with Christians. Is that happening in our country today? It is happening a lot more than we can ever think. If we are paying attention, if we are following along with what is happening across the country, with certain freedoms that are being taken away from people, simply because they hold to a certain thing that, that they believe from the scriptures. For example, not wanting to, you know, not wanting to be forced into having, having to do, let's say, uh, same-sex marriages in churches. Churches today have had to, you know, that, that believe in the word of God have had to do a lot of changing in, in their bylaws and all just to protect the church from having to be forced to have to do same-sex marriages. Because we, we do not believe that. The Bible says that Jesus was very clear in saying that, uh, you know, pointing back to the book of Genesis, that uh, God made male and female, and, and this is, uh, this is the, the foundation for marriage. Always has been and will always be, according to God. But obviously not according to man. So as you see these things happening, you realize if we don't wake up to what is happening, there are more and more freedoms being taken away. So let's realize the danger of being associated. Understand me. Let's realize the danger of being associated with anyone or anything or any movement that seeks the same ends to make war with and to wear down those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ, but also who seek the same ends to Israel, the church of Jesus Christ, and to the word of God. So I ask you, is the coming of Jesus sooner than we think? I, I truly believe it is sooner than we think. The reason why we need to be faithful to the word of God, staying in the word of God, standing upon the word of God, believing what the word of God says, no matter what anybody else says. If we believe God to be faithful, then his word is faithful. And if his word is faithful, then we need to trust his word. We need to still have the, the heart that God has given us for the world, a heart of love to bring people to Jesus Christ. Some of us were very hard when we came to Christ, but we came. Praise the Lord. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 to 39. Jesus said, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. As the days of Noah... We'll talk about that in a moment. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. They, you know, people say, well, this is really just talking about day-by-day -day things. You eat and you drink, you know, you, you marry, you give in marriage, all this stuff is going on until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. People living, going on in their daily life, and I tell you this, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we cannot get to a point where we stop being discerning about what's going on in this world. Then I want you to go to Luke chapter 17 because there's another thing that Jesus says that we can add to what he just said in Matthew 24. In Luke 17 verse 28, he says, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. So now we have an idea of what's happening in the days of Noah. And then Jesus said, look also at what happens in the days of Lot, because it's going to transfer to the time of the coming of the Son of Man. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out from Sodom, or out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. We all know why, don't we? 
Sodom and Gomorrah? That's all you have to mention to know what was going on in that Genesis 19, if you need to read it. But it says, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In the days of Noah, things going on day by day, everything happening. Yet there was something wrong with the days of Noah, as there was something wrong in the days of Lot. What was happening? What do we know about these times? What do we know about the days of Noah and the days of Lot? Well, turn to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. I really want to get this real fast to you because we want to get past this. We want to get to the victory, the glory of what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes again. And then we're going to sing and worship a little bit more because tonight's our New Year's Eve, Eve night to celebrate. That doesn't mean we're going to stay till midnight. It just means we're going to sing a little bit longer. All right. And I'm, I'm supposed to get going here with what's going on. All right, see. All right, so let's listen. Genesis 6, verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now this is after a number of generations from the time of Adam. In fact, it wasn't too long after Adam. I mean, Adam was still around for some of this. And Methuselah, and, and so as we look at all of the genealogies there of, of Genesis. But it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination, or literally plan, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The imaginations of, of his heart, of, of the heart or the thoughts of his heart, of man, was only evil. They thought up a lot of bad things. You know, people today wake up thinking a lot of bad things about what they can do to hurt people, to steal, mostly steal. Mostly steal. Take what doesn't belong to them, whether it be in robbery, thievery, or abuse, like rape, that's stealing. All kinds of other things. People get up thinking, you know, how am I going to, you know, this is, how they, this is how they function nowadays. They don't get up thinking about just doing right. Problem is most people know what's right and what's wrong. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil Continually, if you'll jump down to verses 11 through 13, we see what those things, some of those things were. It says, the earth also was corrupt before God. Corrupt. And the earth was filled with violence. Corruption and violence. Unfortunately, those are some of the bywords for, for uh, governmental leadership of nations today. Corrupt nations, violent nations. Corrupt governments, violent governments. We have to be honest and mention ISIS, the Islamic State. The ISIS, as, as it was defined early on, was the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. And some of you, if you if you hear our president, he always uses the term ISIL, I-S-I-L. And the people that speak at the, at the State Department and, and uh, in any other group, uh, DOJ, uh, the Department of Justice, they'll all use, they'll all use what he says, ISIL. Do you know that that's a slap in the face of God? Did you all know that? You know why? Because ISIL is the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. The Levant, historically speaking, are all the borders that were given by God to Israel. They are using this term purposely. And the very 
goal of ISIS and the very goal of Al-Qaeda, the very goal of Hamas and Hezbollah and, and, and many other, uh, you know, the Islamic nation of Iran, the Islamic Republic of Iran, as it were. Their whole goal is to destroy Israel. And as Ahmadinejad, uh, who was at one time the president of, of, of Iran, once said, of course, he, he, just, he just repeated what many other Arab leaders and, and uh, Muslim and Islamic leaders said. We're going to push Israel into the sea. We're going to destroy Israel. And also the great Satan, the United States of America. That's their goal. To call it ISIL is to slap God in the face. For God gave the land to the children of Israel. So where am I? Oh, verse 12. God looked upon the earth and behold it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. All we see around us today is violence. And unfortunately, we're seeing more and more, and more violence that is related to Islamic terrorism. And this, that is what it is. It is Islamic terrorism. Pure and simple. We cannot hide behind political correct statements to say, well, it could be workplace violence. Those of you that have served in the United States Army know that it wasn't workplace violence when Major Hassan shot 13 and killed 13 people down at Fort Hood just a few years ago. Workplace violence in San Bernardino just a few weeks ago. Workplace violence. Yet we see the pictures of these homegrown Islamists. What's going on? It's all violent. And it's corrupt. The violence is happening and it is what is being what is corrupted is the is is the government that's supposed to take care of the people of this of these United States. You might say you get a little too political. No, biblical. Look at what it says. Go from the first book of the Bible all the way to the next to the last book of the Bible, Jude. Right before the book of Revelation. A little one chapter ver uh, book. One chapter letter. In verses 5 through 7, Jude writes, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fornication. Now I want you to notice this is a broad, a broad definition of what happened there, but we know what happened there. But it begins with this. These are the sexual sins that were made abominations in the book of Leviticus. And these are the things that people are saying, no, no, we want the freedom to do these things. So it begins with a fornication, it says, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. God is very clear. What is an abomination, he is going to destroy in that manner. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. So it goes beyond. You see that the heart is, you know, goes beyond to attack everything that attacks them or what they think is attacking them. Or everybody that does not line up with them, they attack. You don't have to go back there, but Genesis 13, verse 13. 
when, when Abraham and his, his nephew Lot were beginning to split ways. You know, Lot chose to go east where it was nice and green and all, but God gave one statement about that. He said in Genesis 13, 13, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. He made it very clear which direction Lot was headed. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their own lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was fit or meet. That's, that's just one thing. I haven't even gotten to the text I read earlier. Let's get to that because here's, here's something else that is really important for us to understand. Why we need to pray for this country. Why we need to pray for this nation. The text we read at the onset from the book of Jeremiah points to one major geopolitical dilemma for the United States of America in these last days. So let's turn there. I'm going to read it again and I'm, going to, I'm just going to very quickly uh, sum, sum up what, um, my point. But let's read it again. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah, the prophet against Elam, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the, the, the bow of Elam, the bow like a, the bow, uh, you know, bow and arrow. The bow is, is, a straight, is, is a symbol of strength and might. He says, I will break the bow of Elam, the chief of their might, and upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and will scatter them toward all those winds and there shall be no nation whither the outcast of Elam uh, shall not come. For I will cause Elam to be dismayed before their enemies and before them that seek their life and I will bring evil upon them, even my fierce anger, saith the Lord, and I will send the sword after them till I have consumed them. And I will set my throne in Elam. Now, that's an interesting statement. I'm going to set my throne on Elam. And I'll explain that in a moment. And will destroy from thence the king and the princes, saith the Lord. But it shall come to pass in the latter days, which means that this particular prophecy is not going to be, uh, have a near fulfillment. It's only going to have a far fulfillment, okay? So it says the latter days. So th this is not going to happen once and then happen again, as in a lot of other prophecies. But it shall come to pass in the latter days that I will bring again the captivity of Elam, saith the Lord. In other words, there will be people scattered out from this area, and you'll see why in a moment. And yet afterwards, in the last days, I will bring them again. The captivity, the ones that went out from Elam, I'll bring them back in. Now, and, and, and it's, a, it's a kind of a, a beautiful picture here in just a moment. All this other stuff isn't sound, doesn't sound real beautiful, but... But you'll get a picture here in just a moment. Elam is an ancient geographical site that is found primarily in the modern nation of Iran. It is found in Iran, which is Persia in the scriptures, with a very small section of Elam in Iraq, which biblically is Babylon. It is found in the northern end of the Persian Gulf and along the west coast of Iran. This first picture, the red, the red portion there by the Persian Gulf there, that's the Persian Gulf of water there. That, that is Elam. So it's north of the, of the um, Persian Gulf. You'll notice over here Persians, Parthians, or Parthians, Medes, all of that is I Iran. Nineveh, over on the far top left, is, uh, of course, that's part of Babylon. Uh, that's part of Iraq today. And then Susa, if you find in Elam, that was that grand palace that is mentioned in the books of, El of um, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, and so on. So it gives you an idea of where that is. Now, here's the modern picture of the same area. Iran, which was Persia. You'll see Tehran, which is the capital of Iran, there in a little red dot up on top. And you'll notice their ancient Elam in kind of a darker red. And right there in the middle, there's a picture of something. And if you can't read it, it says nuclear power plant. Y'all see that? 
the nuclear power plant. It's in Boucher, which is in Iraq. So as you notice on this second map, the capital a city of Elam is Boucher, and it is within the borders of ancient Elam. As you can see, it is directly across from the little nation right below Iraq, which is Kuwait. You remember, some of you might remember the war back, the, the first Gulf War uh, there was that was uh, to liberate Kuwait from, from the Iraqis. The importance of Boucher cannot be more clearly stated since it is the location of Iran's nuclear facility. And the eyes of the world have been on this location for quite some time. Its location as well is critical because the nuclear plant strategically located in Boucher is designated and designed to build the nuclear weapons to destroy Israel and threaten other nations. That's the bottom line. We know this. We've seen it on the news. We've seen Netanyahu from uh, the Prime Minister of Israel come and talk about the fact that Israel will not allow Iran or Iran to build nuclear weapons because they know if they do, they will build weapons to destroy Israel. But we, from our administration, will tell them, no, you can't, you can't, uh, no, we, we're not going to let you go and, and destroy them. Well, we're their, their, we're their enemies too. <laughs> We're the great Satan that they want to destroy. All right, we all know that. I'm just giving you old news now. But the state of Israel for years has stated that it will not allow Iran to become a nuclear power, having already gone on alert a few times, ready to send its air force to eliminate the facility, and held back for some reason. Certainly the sovereignty of God is a part of that, but, you know, here again. Of course, that would start World War III. And so this ancient Elam becomes now a focal point in dealing with the nation of Israel and fits into God's prophetic plan as the nations of the world head toward that day that is called the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? The seven years of tribulation. The context of Jeremiah 49 has to do with judgments on nations that will be fulfilled during the great day of the Lord. So you read from the beginning of Jeremiah 49 and you see all these judgments of certain nations mentioned. As for the judgment of Elam, it will obviously be fulfilled in the future. But if you remember our study in Obadiah 1 verse 15, the Lord will judge the nations in relation to what it does to Israel. The Lord will judge the nations in relation to what they do to Israel. As we see in Jeremiah 49, Elam was a brutal enemy of Israel and in fact still is. It took part in two attacks on Jerusalem, and that is ancient Elam. Took part in two attacks on Jerusalem. The first attack was uh, assisting the Assyrians, as well as the second attack with the Babylonians in their attacks on, on, on the city of Zion. The very fact that Elam, Iran, is the center of Shiite Islam, which wants to conquer the world for Allah, and has its greatest enemies, Israel and the United States, makes it the number one enemy of the God of Israel. Elam has become the enemy of the God of Israel. The prophecy is clear. God is going to break the bow of Elam, which is break its military power. He will also bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven. By the way, this is the first time we see the statement, the four winds of the four quarters of heaven. First time mentioned, and it's mentioned dealing with judgment bringing judgment from every angle, in other words, and driving them off the land and scattering them. Now here's where there's, a, there's kind of a, a, a beautiful perspective of that. Because as many of you know, there are a lot of Christians in, this, in the nation of Iran. And, and there are more Christians coming forth. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, evangelism going on in Iran today. And, and uh, the Iranian believers consider of, uh, this passage, uh, as they consider this passage as that, that they will be the ones being scattered, but not to attack other nations, but being scattered to preach the gospel. Because that's what they want to do. They want to do it within their land. But if they're going to be scattered, they're going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And then, of course, as you noticed at, at the end, 
the captivity of Elam will return to the land of Elam. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the hopeful message there. But the most astonishing thing is that the Lord mentions that he is going to set his throne on Elam indicating that his authority will be over Elam because we know that Jesus sits on the throne of David for a thousand years in Jerusalem. But to set his throne in Elam is to say that he is going to set his authority over Elam. And even more astonishing is that in recent months, the government of the United States has negotiated with these leading terrorists and supporters of Islamic terrorism in the world and the greatest enemies of Israel and in these particular negotiations, which we said we would never negotiate with this particular uh, government of Iran. Now we did. But we not only gave them funds, but the wherewithal to build the weapons of nuclear mass destruction so that they could possibly carry out their desire to destroy Israel. There's just something wrong with that. And again, we could spend a lot more time dealing with that. But there's one verse that I want to end with tonight. Because I I want you to leave here with hope. The verse is Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign forever and ever. First and foremost, he's got to reign in our hearts. Individually, as believers in Jesus Christ, He needs to reign in our hearts. He needs to be the, He needs to be the Lord and Master of our lives. But, but but I want to say something that I don't want you to misunderstand. But there are a lot of people in politics today upset with what they see in in, in Washington, what they see with with a disregard for for values and and all and there's a, a big cry for us to quote unquote take our country back let's take our country back I just want to remind you Christians believers in Jesus Christ that well we love this country many of you have served this country are serving this country still we have a, a, a young lady who has been helping in our children's ministry. Many of you know her, Angie Duran. She's, she's going to be deployed and, uh, very shortly. And, and she's here tonight. They're giving a party back there in the children's ministry. Keep her in prayer, please. Because she'll be eventually going to Iraq. So we're still serving this country. But let's remember one thing. that our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to the kingdom of God above all kingdoms. And we know that in the end, nothing on this earth is going to last. God will judge nations, and nations will come before the Lord at the second coming. But let's not forget that the issues are not political as much as they are biblical, spiritual. Not material, spiritual. Spiritual issues. And God wants us to stand for the cross of Jesus Christ and to discern the signs of the times and the times of the signs. He wants us to be ready. He wants us not to be deceived. 
Read Matthew 24. Read Mark 13. Read Luke tw uh, 21. The three passages that are the, the Olivet Discourse. They all support one another. It's all the word of Jesus to us. The picture that I showed earlier in this one here is that of the watchman on the wall. It, it's, it's come to be high time for us in the church of Jesus Christ to, to be watchmen and to let people know that Jesus Christ is coming and he's coming soon. We can pray. We can pray for the Lord to, to have an effect on our country and our leadership and all. But all of this, I, I have to tell you, and I, and I say this with all due respect, but the decisions that have been made over the last few years were not made in ignorance. They were made purposely. And that's sad. Because so many people have been deceived. And Jesus said, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. We have to be vigilant. We have to be studiers. We have to be researchers. We need to listen. We need to talk. We need to pray. We need to do all these things. Because already in the year 2016, which is just around the corner, prognosticators are saying great things are going to happen, not great good, but great Terrible, terribly great. But what do we have to fear? Do we have anything to fear if we belong to the God who is in control of all things? To the God who is the one who knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. Let's, be, let's remember one other thing. When Jesus comes, he's going to come for his church. He's coming for his people. He's coming to take us home. He's coming to do that so that he can finish dealing with his people, Israel, for seven years. And in that, in that time frame, there's judgment coming to this earth. And he's going to take us home. It's, it's time and time again, just from Genesis to Revelation, that's been made clear. So I want you to trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all his ways. 